What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want. Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is a thought leadership series that enlightens and inspires listeners with insights from distinguished business leaders and subject matter experts. Our conversations are designed to make you think, inspire you to ever reach for cultivating your best, and take an informed approach toward leadership and business. Our guest today is Jayesh Badek, who is the co-founder of Sony Entertainment Television, a major television network of Sony Pictures Entertainment, which he successfully exited in 2013. He is a senior advisor to Jungle Ventures, a pan-Asian venture capital technology fund based in Singapore, and he's the author of What Shall We Do With All This Money? Inspiring Perspectives on Wealth. We'll be talking about how he arose in his career and what he learned along the way, hear about a few people in his book who have inspiring stories about wealth, and a few of the things he's pouring himself into today. He joined today from Singapore. JS, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you, Dr. Elise Cortez. Such a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> oh. I'm in Singapore. It's uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and it's it's actually Monday night at 6 p.m. here in Dallas. It's wonderful that we can bridge time and, and place, isn't it? It is. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's so such a pleasure to have you. I'm so looking forward to having you share yourself and your delightful career and what you're up to with our listeners. And Let's start, if we can, in our first conversation, we were talking about all the things that you've, you've been up to and where you've come from, and I think it's it's wise to start with your own story of where you came from, and I think you know that I'm an identity researcher, so I think a lot about how coming from the things that you think are important about yourself come into play when you do an introduction. So if you'll start there with your story. Okay, I look forward. So uh, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me on this uh, talk show. I grew up in uh, a, lo- a lower middle class family in Calcutta. Calcutta is a, is a city, is a big city on the east coast of India. Uh, very humble beginnings. Uh, you know, I remember the day we uh, brought a refrigerator at home. And uh, as I grew up, uh, all through my uh, growing up days, we never had a car. I did go to a good school. So I went to a school called St. Lawrence High School, which is, which is run by Jesuit priests. And uh, I was also part of uh, the Scouts and Guides group, uh, which influenced teamwork at at a very early age. Uh, My undergraduate was uh, at MS University of Baroda, which is in Gujarat in India, which is on the west coast of India. And I did electrical engineering there. Uh, After that, I joined a premier MBA school in India called Indian Institute of Management in Calcutta. I, I lasted for two trimester. I just somehow <laughs> felt that I, uh, you know, didn't want to just be a typical senior executive in a company, which is what happens when you complete uh, MBA from IIM Calcutta. And uh, I actually lasted for two trimesters, after which I quit and thank God for my brother who sent me a ticket. And uh, I flew on a plane for the first time in my life. So at the age of 23, I sat on a plane 
didn't know how to fasten my seat belt and uh, <laughs> i went to uh, austin texas so that's 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 where i uh, landed in us i i i fast forward i graduated from uh, university of texas at austin uh, and with an ms in double e electrical engineering and and i worked on i worked for, i worked for a research lab on campus so there was a center for electromechanics which is a which is a research lab and they hired me straight out of college uh, after that i joined ibm in houston so i worked there for about 7 years in houston at ibm in the sales and marketing department there and uh, lo and behold i got invited to take an expat job an expatriate job in singapore and this job was uh, in a, in an organization called ibm offshore operations which had which had the responsibility to sell to india so there was back then there was no ibm in india and that assignment uh, you know extended you know to totally a four and a half years uh, after which ibm we did such a good job that ibm physically moved and set up shop in bangalore in india uh, my wife and i didn't want to uh, live in india but also we decided that we didn't want to go back to us you know we had come basically for an adventure and we were really enjoying with our kids in singapore and so after 12 years i left ibm and and then i continued to live in singapore and i did nine startups and uh, the most notable and successful one of that being uh, the, the tv channel sony entertainment television but i also helped set up uh, jungle ventures in singapore which is a mainstream tech vc venture capital investing fund in southeast asia and which currently has about 350 million dollars under management and they are on fund 3 now so there there's sort of a brief background on on my growing up mm, that was a lot of experience and and time to say in a short amount of time thank you for that and i appreciate the pieces that you picked out because again as a as a researcher what you choose to share with us says something that means that there's meaning in that so Thank you for that. Now, listeners, you have an idea of just who you're dealing with here and, and and what you're about to hear from. So now, of course, what we want to get into is I want to know how you got involved in co-founding Sony Entertainment Television. How did that okay. happen? Yes, actually, it, it's there. There is a long story, and I'll try to uh, you know make it brief because obviously, in such a uh, startup, then there are stories within stories. So we were we were seven founder members, partners, and there's a story how how all each one of us got involved in it. but i'll just start with mine so i went to a friend's place for lunch one day and uh, he called me into his study and he says hey would you take a look at this business plan and so i took a look at that business plan and it was a very brief business plan and it was on a tv channel for south asian diaspora so after a brief discussion i i just gave it back gave back the brief business plan to him and i told him that this is a great idea but i don't think it's going to fly and so uh, that day then i left and then he called me the next morning and he said that hey uh, you know i almost didn't sleep the night you know thinking about your comments on that business plan and i said oh i thought you were just asking me about that business plan which was somebody else's business plan and i just gave you some <laughs> honest feedback where he says no 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 this is what me and my friend are working on and can you meet us and so i felt really bad that you know i had given him such brutal honest uh, a feedback and then when i met them both they they discussed with me and after having a chat with me basically i told them that the business plan was such a small brief business plan they're trying to do a major tv channel this obviously needs to be cooked up quite well and so they got impressed with my conversation and my feedback that they asked me to 
see if I could join this. And so at that time, I had already left IBM. I was on my first startup. I asked my co-founder of my first startup, and he said, yes, as long as you keep both, you know, one feet here and one foot, one foot here and one foot there, you're okay to go. And so that's how I ended up joining uh, this, this pack of seven, which then ultimately ended up doing a joint venture with Sony Pictures Entertainment, uh, you know, and, and so that joint venture essentially launched this TV channel and, uh, and that channel continues to go, you know, how the TV channels are, they're 24-7, once you push the button and it's on, it's on all the time. So I, I helped in a bit on technology and, and decisions for uplinking and broadcast. I helped, of course, soup up the business plan back then. And then, of course, I helped with uh, structuring and negotiating, uh, you know, the joint venture that we did with Sony Pictures, uh, which, you know, it's a subsidiary of Sony Corporation of Japan. So a couple things come to mind really quick. Uh, one is the 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 actual ROI of brutal honesty, right, Jay? <laughs> what if you hadn't given your real honest, direct answer? What if you That's hadn't? The- Yes, and, and so this is really a, a, a debate that I have with a lot of my friends about, you know, how people listen to the tone of your voice and the attitude of your voice in many cases and sort of miss the content. And what is really very important for me, which I tell my friends, is really that the content is also equally important. Yes, I need to continue to learn how to be mindful and how to reply with the right tone so that the other person doesn't get offended. But instead of being polite and not giving your honest feedback, I would any day choose to give honest feedback, even if it is brutal, uh, because that's what shows that I care. My caring comes in the form of giving you honest feedback. Oh, Jay, right now, uh, you and I talked about this. I'm I'm working through several revisions of my first full book manuscript on purpose and leadership. And one of my friends was saying, how honest do you want me to be? And I said, please let your honesty and, and, and depth of, of feedback reflect your love for me. <laughs> and no surprise, it came back very red-lined. So I can, I'm very aligned with that. And that person is a better friend of yours than most other. I, I just say that not trying to be judgmental, but Absolutely the person right. who really cares, that person really will give you honest feedback. Yes, I agree. Thank you, Mark Snyder and Amy Walters. But to them both, they both get praise for that. So a few things that I wanted to hear. I know this could, could be a long, long list here, Jay, but just if you could share a few things that you're most proud of while you're at Sony and why. Okay. I, I, so I'll just um, try and, you know, be concise here. Again, like you said, you know, it was an experience uh, uh, stretching over about 18 years. And uh, so many, many TV channels at that back then, there was only one cable and satellite television channel before us. And so we were kind of the second second TV channel that, that went live. And after us, a lot of TV channels came and folded while SET, sorry, entertainment television continued to thrive. And it became one of the most successful TV networks. So that's one. Uh, we brought good programming to India. So that's two things we did. One is we raised the benchmark of the look and feel of TV channels. So I had been watching TV you know, in the United States as well as in Asia, in Singapore. And we saw the difference in the quality of the look and feel of the picture. Now, of course, all are all high resolution uh, HD uh, TV channels. But back then, we raised the bar. So we, we, we did that. And then we brought good programming. So we brought things like Indian Idol, which is basically an offshoot of American Idol. We brought Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? There is an Indian version of that, Khan Banega Karodapati. 
And then there was there is this Filmfare Award. Filmfare Award is like the Oscars of Indian movie, you know, the movie industry that's called Bollywood. So there's an Oscar of that, which is called Filmfare Award. So we brought a good lot of uh, programming, some which was homegrown, some which was basically licensed from U.S. However, the most exciting and fun part was introducing the game of cricket to the Americans. So the <laughs> Americans came from L.A. They came from Sony Pictures Entertainment. And and they we we took them to cricket uh, to watch cricket matches because we want them to get excited to see if we could actually get some co- licensing content for cricket, and they wondered when we went to this cricket matches that why after hitting the ball the batter was not running so in cricket you don't have to do that <laughs> so the similarity between cricket and baseball is that there is a ball and a bat that you're supposed to hit the ball with but that's where it ends every all other rules and are are different between the two, well fast forward we ended up. Uh, convincing them and we we bid and won the world cup cricket rights for television and we started a, a premier league which is called indian premier league which is a cricket league similar to mlb major league baseball and which was the biggest hit in the tv network even till today it's the biggest uh, cricket uh, uh, portal a uh, cricket licensed uh, uh, program which is watched all over the world not only limited to south asians and so really the the enterprise grew dramatically uh, you know we exited over a billion dollars uh, enterprise value and uh, today today is probably worth mil- billions of dollars you know so so we exited and sold all our stake to sony a few years ago I just need to say hearty congratulations to that. Talk about a life well lived, Jay. And and I want to point something out to our listeners here. I asked the question of what he was proud of, what you're proud of, Jay. And the reason I did that is because that service is meaning. People want to understand, what do you mean about this meaning stuff? Well, that which is meaning for, meaningful to you is that which holds significance for you. So what you just shared with us is what has been some of the more meaningful aspects of your career. And you did it beautifully at Sony. Thank you. And Elise, I just want to just add one small thing that, you know, the, the purpose of this was to bring entertainment to the masses, right? So this is in a Hindi language. And this now goes to, uh, you know, hundreds of countries in the world. And this TV channel has been entertaining hundreds of millions of people worldwide. So, mm-hmm. so that's really the purpose. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful impact. Uh, now, this we I'll I would be remiss if I did not ask you this next question, Jay, and especially as somebody who's always learning. But what are a few key things that you learned in your career prior to today's focus that you're up to, which we'll get to later, that help that you think helped make your ventures successful? Yeah, I think uh, the the one good news is that I came from a business family. So before my generation, which is my brother and I, we were the first ones who ever worked for someone else. My dad, my granddad, my great-grandfather, they were all business people. And so one inherent quality is, which I have, which is risk-taking. So I would say that you must have an ability to take risk and you have to assess your risk-taking profile if you want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, if you're not a risk taker, it's okay. You can be an executive and work for a company. But I think that's really one of the most important things is is the risk taking ability. Then, of course, the other piece is that when you're provided with an opportunity, you have to let your intuition and intelligence uh, help you decide which one to grab and jump on. Uh, I think so that's, that's the second piece. Because a lot of people miss the boat. They're given some amazing opportunities. So, for example... When my friend asked me if I wanted to join this TV channel coming from IBM, I would have had I would have said no. I know nothing about TV channels, but I just had this strong intuition that this could scale into a massive enterprise, and so I jumped on it. Uh, one of the things that I did, Elise, is also I made a bold decision to quit IIM Calcutta. Whoever knows IIM Calcutta, that's sort of like 
the Harvard MBA program. And nobody quits Harvard MBA program halfway through it. And I did. I decided to you know, seek adventure. And I thought, okay, there's something better. That the life that I want to seek is out there, which is in the United States. And so I came to US I, I, instead of just staying put in India. And then fast forward, I also, while I was in Houston, uh, they asked me if I wanted to go to Singapore. So I had a mainstream career and I, I paused on that mainstream career and I decided, okay, let's go for an adventure. It's a two-year assignment. I went to Singapore. And so I left my comfort zone. So that's the other thing that sometimes you have to leave your comfort zone and you don't know what you're going to discover. And, and then, of course, I became a forced entrepreneur uh, when I left IBM. And then uh, the other thing that I can say is executive decision making is, is super, super important. And so people need to cultivate this clarity of thought. And I've been doing it. I'm still a work in progress, at least, to be very honest. But executive decision making is super important. That's what I teach my kids. I tell my kids all the time. Um, the other part is the is, is good interpersonal communication skill. I was so lucky to have gone through the best marketing school in the world, which was at IBM, and, and that taught me good communication skills. So most of the success and failures in people management uh, in business or geopolitics is, is due to ineffective uh, communication. So, you know, it's either effective or ineffective, and that's really the success and failure according to me. So you need to develop good interpersonal skills. And, and, and the last one I will say is to try and acquire a 360 degree view. So whether you're an enterprise or you're doing a job or you're in a situation, if you can master the skill such that it becomes intuitive, you know, you, then you will have an unfair advantage because you get the 360 degree view. So, 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 so those are sort of some of my learnings. Oh, this is wonderful, Jay. I feel like I'm drinking from the hose in the best possible way. Let's grab our first break. I'm Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Jayesh Padek, who is the who is the Sony Entertainment Television um, early co-founder, which is a major television network of Sony Pictures Entertainment. He successfully exited in 2013. He is a senior advisor to Jungle Adventures, a pan-Asian venture capital technology fund based in Singapore, and he's the author of What Shall We Do With All This Money? Inspiring Perspectives on Wealth. He joins us today from Singapore. We've been talking a bit about just where he came from and how he got his start and a lot of his early career. After the break, we're going to talk about a few of the people in his book that have been doing interesting things with their wealth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Jayesh Parikh, who is the co- a co-founder of the Sony Entertainment Television and major television network of Sony Pictures Entertainment. He is also the author of What Shall We Do With All This Money? Inspiring Perspectives on Wealth. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. 
so before we get into the book here, Jay, I wanted to f- situate really your perspective about wealth, what you've come to learn about wealth, its management, and future in your experience. Let's start there. Uh, yeah, thank you, Elise. I, I think the first thing I want to tell you is I want to just uh, uh, you know confess to you that when I was growing up, I had an inferiority complex. And that inferiority complex came because I grew up in a middle-class family. So money meant survival for me. And so I worked very hard and I was very hungry to make money for my family's well-being. And, and today, fast forward, I never want to make any decisions that will take my financial independence away from me. So today, m- money is meant to enjoy life. I don't have to think about affordability. I only question the value of anything because I came from a humble beginning and and most importantly, I enjoy experiential spending rather than material spending. So there's just one thing that I do is that I have made an allocation for giving and helping the com- the community. And, and I do that in three parts. There is something called calamity giving. So that's for things like, let's say, COVID or tsunami or earthquake. Then there is one piece, which is for micro lending. So you lend money to women entrepreneurs and then that money circles back. It's like the Kiva model. And, and I, I give to Milap, M-I-L-A-A-P, milap.org. And then the third one is social impact investing. So I invest in companies that actually do good, but they are for-profit companies. Uh, the, the other last piece is that I don't spend too much time managing my wealth anymore. Uh, you know, I, I just don't want to spend inordinate amounts of time making money on my money. You know, I know so many people who have made amazing lives for themselves and of themselves, Jay, from an inferiority complex well Aimed. So I just want to call that out. There's the, the motivation has got to come from somewhere, and I really appreciate that you shared that part of your of your story with us. Certainly. Yeah. Okay. So the book. You've had many of other things going on here, Jay. There's lots of ways that you could spend your time, and yet you created this beautiful book, and you've showcased a collection of people from across the Indian diaspora. So first, I, I guess I want to understand why did you write the book, and what do you hope to accomplish for, for its readership? Yeah, so I think uh, around me, uh, you know, Singapore is 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 quite a uh, well-to-do place. The you know, it's got one of the highest uh, GDPs in the world, per capita incomes in the world, and so I watched people around me, and and these people were working very hard uh, to make money on their money. So people, what happens? People work very hard to make money, then they work hard to make money on their money, and then they die. I mean, it just sounds a bit harsh, but that's how many of the lives of these affluent people was and is. And so I wanted to appeal to these affluent folks who work so hard to make money on money. They clearly have no need for that additional money. It won't affect their lifestyle. So I wanted to inspire these high net worth families to consider taking their foot off the gas pedal and smell the roses, spend their time and money on doing good. And, and most importantly, though, my audience is millennials. I wanted to inspire these millennials who are going to inherit hundreds of millions of dollars uh, especially in the Indian diaspora. And I wanted them to read this book and get influenced and inspired. Most of them do not know what they want to do in life, and especially with their money that they're going to inherit. So so the major target audience for me really are these affluent people, but also really the, the millennials. And, and so that's really one of the reasons uh, that inspired me to inspire them to, to write this book. 
Mm. And you've done a brilliant job of getting the perspectives of, of various kinds of people. And I'd love to have you share a little bit from each of those buckets, if you will. So you've got one category of, of, in, of, of sharing from chairman and key executives. And so who in your book would you like to talk about with our listeners that maybe resonates or aligns with your interests or that you especially yeah. like? Yeah. So, so Elise, what I'm going to do is just going to give you a brief uh, you know, s- synopsis of the book. So this book is essentially a book of interviews. It's a compilation of book of interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, these interviews were audio interviews. And so these interviews I did all over the world of people of Indian diaspora uh, who are in United States and Mid- Middle East, Europe, Singapore, Malaysia, Africa, India. And they're from different diverse backgrounds. So there are some who are executives, some who are entrepreneurs, some gurus, uh, like, for example, Deepak Chopra, some senior executives like Ratan Tata, and then there are private bankers, uh, there are intuitives, there are millennials. And so these diverse group of people uh, I have interviewed to give us perspective on what happened to them growing up and their perspective on wealth, but more importantly, their advice to the millennials. So, again, uh, the first chapter is starts with is a senior chairman and senior executives, and, and that includes Mr. Ratan Tata. Uh, who's very famous, but I'll pick Dr. Naveen Bhatt. So uh, Naveen is, a, is, is now a dear friend, and Naveen actually uh, studied in U.S. and worked in U.S., and then uh, 15 years ago, then they came to Singapore, and he's a senior executive now in a telecommunications testing equipment company. The most interesting thing that Naveen and his wife, Maushumi, do, they, they do uh, as a hobby is they climb mountains. So they've climbed mountains in Malaysia, in New Zealand, Mont Blanc, Long Peak in Colorado, Mount Fiji, Fuji, then Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. They've even gone to the base camp of Everest, and Mount Everest is sort of the next big, uh, you know, mountain that they they want to climb over the next decade. But their family, they also go scuba diving, so they go up to the mountain, they go down to the deep sea. Now, four years ago, they decided to channel some of their money into kids' education. So both are PhDs, Dr. Naveen and Dr. Moshumi Bhart. They are doing extremely well, very senior executives. But four years ago, they said, listen, this is enough. We don't need any more money to, to live a good life. And so they decided to channel their money into kids' education. So every year, you know, through friends, they select underprivileged school students from middle school, so kind of teenagers, and commit to educate them all the way through college. So somebody who's 11, 12 years, 13 years old, let's say, and take them all the way through college. And if that college is even going to United States, they will pay for their fees. That's the commitment that they have made. And it is not limited to just writing a check for just their education, but they bring those kids every year to Singapore and they stay with them. So it's just a huge eye-opener for the kids to see the new dreams and possibilities. And and every year, Naveen and Mashumi, they also go to the kids' family and they, they hang out with them. And so there is a you know a lot of communication that goes back and forth. And and now they're they've are up to eight kids, so they are supporting eight kids. So this really is a story which uh, resonates with a lot of folks who then try, you know, ask me to connect them to Naveen because they would like to join that bandwagon. Mm-hmm. And listeners, of course, why am I asking Jay to share these stories is because I want them to inspire you. I want them. I want you to hear what what lives people have created and. This is the one precious life that you get, and I hope that when you hear him share these stories, that there's something in it that makes you want to live bigger than you are today. So that's why I'm asking him to do this. Um, all right. Well, another category that you have, or another chapter in your book, um, you've got one for businessmen, one for entrepreneurs. But who did you want to talk about from that camp? So I, I, I'd, I'd just jump to uh, you know 
bring you to another couple, three of, uh, of examples. One is a lawyer. And, and if you do uh, get to read this book, uh, especially for your audience, uh, then I would recommend that you read this chapter on Navneet Chug. Chug, C-H-U-G-A, Chug LLP is a very famous law firm in California. They have about 500 people in 12 offices and they do full service legal accounting, tax, financial, that, that kind of work. But they do a lot of pro bono work also, especially for charities. Uh, the, the, the good news in that chapter is that Navneet has provided a lot of insight into the nonprofit world of the USA. You know, it, it gives a lot of speeds and feeds that, that, that your listeners would, would enjoy, especially on the U.S. nonprofit system. So, like, for example, one out of 10 American workers in, work in the nonprofit industry, which many people don't know. 90% of hospitals and colleges and universities are nonprofit, like Stanford, MIT, Harvard. They are nonprofits, John Hopkins, Mass General. These are the largest hospitals. So the nonprofit GDP is about $1.1 trillion, which is bigger than some countries out there. And, and in 2018, Americans gave uh, approximately $400 billion to 1.5 million charities. Mm. So there's a lot to learn, uh, not only for Americans, but also for your audiences outside America. Uh, you know, it, it basically talks about how the tax system was set up to encourage and motivate giving to the nonprofits. So I'd say that, you know, even the part that would you know influence people is his 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 conversations with millennials so affluent millennials families come to them and how do millennials think about money and how they deal with money i think that's really very interesting in that particular chapter so that's basically the the, the lawyer chapter Okay. And by the way, Jay, this, this program is listened to worldwide. So we do have listeners all over in Hong Kong, also in India, Africa, et cetera, Europe, all over. It's wonderful. I love that part of it. Uh, okay. What about from the impact investor community? Yes. Okay. Uh, impact investor, there's one person, uh, what I pick is Vineet Rai, R-A-I, and he's a pioneer of social impact investing. So for 20 years, he's been doing that. He basically one day decided to collect money for funds, uh, for an impact fund. And that's how it got started, sort of really at a very low scale, innocently. And his idea was that I want to invest in startups, which are for profit, doing good, right? So social impact investing is, is basically investing in equity of, an, of a for profit company, which is doing good. And the intent of the company is to make social impact. So that's the big thing. It's not just investing in any company, but a social impact company. And 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 so he's done an extremely good job. And so his VC fund is called Avishkar. Avishkar means discovery. It invests in startups in, in agriculture, maybe agri-tech, education, edutech, healthcare, waste management space, etc. And and now they have three funds, one for India, one for uh, Frontier Fund, which is in Indonesia, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka. And the third one invests in Africa. And, and the investors in the fund, which is called LP, Limited Partners, are DFI, which is basically development finance institutions, like IFC, which is part of World Bank, and CDC, FMO, DEG. These are very popular DFIs. And, and these VC funds are in hundreds of billions of dollars. So that's really a very impressive section of the book and the interview of what... Uh, motivated Vinit Rai to, to pursue this. Now, of course, impact investing is, is, is one asset class which is quite popular. 
How beautiful. And I just appreciate how you can narrate the depth of all that great detail of what these people are doing. It just shows that you've really, really done your research. And I appreciate that as a fellow researcher. It's beautiful, Jay. Um, we're close Thank to you. out of time. On, you're welcome on this on this uh, segment here. So I want to give you the chance. Um, do you want to talk more about other social impactors or millennials for the next part of the book before we go on to our uh, next break? Yeah, I'll just run run quickly through that. So the one millennial, uh, one social impactor that I would recommend is Mrutunjay Tiwari. He was a soccer player and he set up an eye hospital, which is called Akanjyoti Eye Hospital. And so, so Bihar is a state which is an agrarian state. It's a low-income state. And there he set up a hospital that currently does 65,000 cataract operations. Uh, 80, last year they did 65,000. 80% of them are free. So it's a terrific story that you'd like, and especially his program, which is Football to Eyeball, where he attracts mm-hmm. a lot of these uh, teenage girls. And, and so he teaches them how to play soccer and then brings them into the hospital. So that's one. Uh, the second one, and by the way, I also want to mention and, and shout out to Ami Doshi, who is in Dallas. Uh, you know, She's one of the chapters there, and she started a portal called ProPoor, and then she's currently got a nonprofit called Opportunity Plus. So that's another one. But I really want to just spend the remaining time on this section on millennials. And so I'd say first thing is that I'm very encouraged by millennials. That's what I want to tell you. You know, people are skeptic that these generations are going to while away their money, what they inherit. But I personally feel that they are really looking for purpose. And so one person that jumps out from that section is Sarvesh Sashi. He's set up a yoga studio, and now he's setting up an online app, and it's called Sarva, S-A-R-V-A. And so you can look it up. It's basically yoga. He wants to teach yoga and that as a catalyst to empower happiness and healthy live lifestyle. He's got some amazing marketing investors like Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo, Alex Rodriguez, Bill Royde, who used to be the former CEO of MTV, uh, Mark Mastrov, who's the founder and CEO of 24 Fitness and many others. So I think that's really, he's a, from a very affluent family, but he left all of that and just decided to start his own social enterprise. I so appreciate, Jay, how you just, uh, just sharing about these people gets you excited. Isn't that wonderful to feel that way about these people and what they're doing and being connected to it? It's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Of course. All right, let's grab our, our next break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We are on the air with Jayesh Padek, who is a co-founder of Sony Entertainment Television, which is a major television network of Sony Pictures Entertainment, which he successfully exited in 2013. He is a senior advisor to Jungle Adventures, a pan-Asian venture capital technology fund based in Singapore, and he's the author of What Shall We Do With All This Money? Inspiring Perspectives on Wealth. He joins us today from Singapore. After the break, we're going to hear more about what he's up to today, post-book and other adventures. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is J.S. Padek. He's the co-founder of 
He is a co-founder of Sony Entertainment Television, a major television network of Sony Pictures Entertainment, which he successfully exited in 2013. He is a senior advisor to Jungle Adventures, a pan-Asian venture capital technology fund based in Singapore, and he's the author of What Shall We Do With All This Money? Inspiring Perspectives on Wealth. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So for this last segment here, Jay, I wanted to let our listeners hear about some of the um, some of the many things that you're focused on. Of course, we won't have time to hear about all of them because you're up to so many things. Um, but you you mentioned before the break the the I Institute in India that that you were talking about, and I know you you're connected to that and supporting it, raising funds and maybe other things. Tell us what you're doing and how you got involved. Uh, yes, uh, thank you for asking that, Elise. And I met Mrityunjay. Uh, Mrityunjay is through a common friend, like that, that common friend is a trustee for the eye hospital. And uh, that common friend and us and a whole bunch of us, we collectively, we went to East Africa to a safari. And um, he brought Mrityunjay along. And so Mrityunjay and I and this friend of ours and a whole bunch of us, we spent two weeks and that's a long time. And so every evening over a glass of wine, I would grill Mrityunjay, try to find out you know, more about his eye hospital. And then lo and behold, at the end of that two week, uh, I, I decided that I wanted to jump in and I wanted to, uh, you know, be part of this eye hospital, which is called Akhanda Jyoti Eye Hospital. And and this is uh, situated in a town called Mastichak, which is in the state of Bihar, which is a low income state. Mm. Wow. You know, again, I what I'm so present to as you talk, Jay, is I just think about for me, I, I just so want to be able to taste as much of life and give as much of myself to life as I possibly can. And when I hear you tell your stories, I want to, I'm living vicariously and with you and want to do more. So thank you for that inspiration. Free, I hope. Yes. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to hear a little bit more. You say this um, and, other, and other things I read about you, but why is the work at I Institute so important to you? And, and what do you hope to help accomplish through that work? So at least, uh, you know, the first thing, as I mentioned, Bihar is, a, is an agrarian state and it's a low income state. And they have got a major health problem in curable blindness. And so the hospital is situated one and a half hour away from a major city called Patna. And it's in the hinterlands. And so I want to help Mrityunjay and his team to alleviate curable blindness from the state of Bihar in the next five years. I mean, it's a bold thing. There are millions of people who need uh, help with eyes, eye-related problems. But we're focusing on bilateral blindness to begin with. And, and it's curable, and so we want to work on that. And, and then the other piece, which is very important also for me, which I'm going to help them on, is vision center. So vision centers are these optical stores. So after a person gets um, a cataract operation, you usually need you know, these dark glasses, and then you ultimately need some prescription glasses. Uh, so we decided that not only in the hospital, but outside around the surrounding areas within 100 kilometers radius, we'll set up. Tens uh, and twenties of these optical stores, which are basically optical stores which sell low uh, cost uh, uh, glasses, prescription glasses, and so these are mostly managed by women. And the the beauty of that is that the profits that we generate from those vision centers goes back to pay for the free surgery. So this is again one of the social enterprise type of idea. And so this is the type of things that I enjoy, and and I want to bring some added value into this uh, eye hospital. 
It's just so smart too, Jay. I just so appreciate that. And I think you and I talked about this, but I did have the wonderful experience of visiting India in December 2014 for about three weeks, New Delhi and Madurai. Absolutely love it. It was a bucket list item and I still have time on my visa. So I'm coming back. Maybe I can help. I would love to invite <laughs> you to Akhand Jyoti Eye Hospital and we can schedule a trip and I'll, I'll go with you so that you feel comfortable. I, I, I would be delighted. Let's get this pandemic behind it. And let's make it happen. <laughs> Look forward. Me too. Okay, so as if this weren't enough to say that you've what you've already been saying about where you've what you've been doing, um, one of the things that really caught my attention that you told me about in our first conversation is that you're crafting and about to launch a what you call a peer retreat, which stands for post exit entrepreneurial retreat. And as I understand it, this is for successful entrepreneurs who have exited their ventures. And I think you said in, the, in this initial conversation that these retreats are designed to teach philanthropy, wealth management, and deal with the emotional baggage that comes with exiting a venture. So if I've got any of that wrong, tell us. Um, and, and so if where do, you, where do you want to take these retreats? What do you hope yes. to accomplish? Yes. So first, I want to uh, call out my, uh, you know, the, the group that, that came up with this idea. So there's a founder of this idea is Cedric Brusselman, who is an INSEAD MBA, and, and he uh, lives in uh, Amsterdam. And we have a few other people, one from uh, San Francisco, Bay Area, one in Geneva. I am here in Singapore. And then there is one person in Dubai. So all of us, we basically have been brainstorming this. And and essentially, uh, you know, Cedric personally also did a startup and sold an enterprise. So he came up with this idea, which we call PEER, P-E-E-R, as you, as you correctly mentioned, post-exit entrepreneurial retreat, because... This is like the last day of an exam, right? You remember the last day of the exam, the last exam you took in your undergrad or grad school, and you just are looking forward to that day. And when the exam happens you in the evening or the next morning when you wake up, you feel a sort of a void. And, and that's what really happens here uh, to, to, to entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs. They really feel lost in a way because, A, it's a lonely job. They've exited this business, so there's a huge euphoria, but that really essentially lasts a day, and then you're wondering what to do. So there is one thing is about the emotional part of it, right, because in many cases, they might have gotten disconnected with their family, so you bring them back into that family fold because they've been working 24-7 extremely so hard. The other piece is to, you know, a path to spend quality time enjoying the wealth, right? So one is to... Make sure that you made a lot of money, which is fine, that's successful. But then how do you enjoy that quality time uh, with that wealth and structuring and managing that wealth? And, and the most important piece that we hope to bring into this course, this retreat, is to find the best utilization of wealth, right? To me, success is not just uh, making and accumulating wealth, but it's how you utilize your wealth. And so finding that purpose that suits what they believe in. And that's really the most important piece for me in this uh, in this peer retreat. You said something somewhere about the sheer number of people that have money. Where did I remember that, that the billionaires and millionaires, do you happen to have those numbers at the top of your head or somewhere easily locatable? Yes, it is actually in the first page of called Early Thoughts in my book. And it basically says yes. that currently there are 2,150 billionaires and there are 46 million millionaires in the world and these numbers are growing. 
Yeah. So in other words, there's maybe a few people who could maybe you that could perhaps opt into your your retreat given the numbers. <laughs> yes, we're looking forward to that. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, it's so important, and I so appreciate again as a purpose as a person who works from meaning and purpose that you have identified that you want to help these people move on to their next venture and not just do that thing where they're just managing their wealth. I just think that is so something worth getting up for, Jay. Yeah, we're excited about this course, and and let's let's. You know, we'll we'll watch it, and then maybe the next time you uh, you you agree to interview me, I'll give you a little bit more you know feedback on how it's going. Absolutely, you can run for me, Jay, but you can't hide. Even if you're in Singapore, I can still get you. Don't worry. <laughs> so we've, we're getting close to the end of time here. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with, with our listeners that you're pouring yourself into these days that showcases who you are and what matters to you? Uh, yeah, I, I guess two parts to it. One is that I just want to point that, you know, I was working on wealth affluence because of my humble beginning, and I transitioned to time affluence. Uh, my next step is mind affluence. And, and so time affluence is obvious, right? I mean, all of us should really enjoy the power of now and the time, uh, which we don't in many cases, but the mind affluence is that entails mindfulness, compassion, meditation. So I personally, for example, I practice Vipassana, which is a concentrative meditation. Uh, but interestingly, just in during this lockdown, I took two courses which are which were really very interesting for me. One is called Science of Wellbeing, Science of Wellbeing, which is taught by Professor Lauri Santos at Yale University. It's on Coursera for free right now. And the other one was HeartMath, HeartMath.com, and these are also, again also free right now. And HeartMath basically talks about the connection and the executive decision making. Uh, ability of the heart, which all of us think it's only in the brains. So that's, and then there were two very important TED Talks that I want to just call out on. One is, one is called There's More to Life Than Being Happy by Emily Esfahani Smith. And there is one which says My Failed Mission to Find God and I what, what I Found Instead, which is by Anjali Kumar. And so the, during the lockdown, these are a few tidbits that I picked up. And the last piece I want to leave you with, uh, with for your listeners is that I feel this world is in an inflection point. Right? We're, we're all sort of sitting here cooped up in a way, but I think the collective consciousness is going to ascend. This is how I feel deep down. The world of tomorrow, it will transcend into world 2.0. I call it the world 2.0. You know, I'm not smart enough to at least to tell you the details of what and where it will end up, but change is coming. I'm, I'm very optimistic that the world is going to be a better place. And, and, and I'm especially counting on the millennials right, to be more purposeful and compassionate compared to earlier generations. Jay, I couldn't agree with you more. I, 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 I can tell you that from my vantage point too, I do think that, that the pandemic has has forced a hard reboot for the whole entire world. And I and from, from my vantage point, Jay, what it's doing, among many other things, but my focus is on work, is it's it's allowing companies, leaders, and business owners to look at what hasn't been working for them in terms of their human capital practices, how they hire, how they train, how they motivate, how they reward, how they manage, how they lead, and and revamp into world 2.0 like you're talking about. So I'm very much part of those conversations and to help, to help steward that future that we want to live into because I too want everyone, including the millennials, to to pull us forward into a better place. And so I very much agree and align with what you're saying, which is I'm sure why we're talking um, I can't quite speak from the same page that you can, but I'm I'm close in your draft. How's that? I, I really appreciate that, Elise. And, and I'll tell you that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of rhetoric in the past about these changes, but I, I, this time I feel that it's for real. I think the world is just too polarized, and I think things are now going to start to come together. So uh, let's all collectively make this world a better place. 
Yes, and we've got time to say talk about this really quick. So now we add in too now the the surfaced additional race tension, racial tensions, which I hope the world is at least in a place now where they're willing, more willing to listen and engage in conversation and do something about this problem than they were not willing to do before. What do you think about that? Yes, I, I think look the. The polarization is so severe now, and thanks to social media. So you know, you're 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 either uh, a Muslim or you're not. Uh, you're either black or you're not. You're either white or you're not. Uh, you're you're either American or you're not. Right? You're either a male or you're not. I mean, this kind of polarization. You're a Republican or you're a Democrat. You know, I mean, this kind of polarization. If you start dicing and slicing, everybody's got a problem with everyone else. The point is, hey, how did we survive all these years? And today now, because of social media, people are taking sides and such harsh bitterness inside of them, which really needs to surface and people need to start communicating. People need to start easing off on that and saying, hey, it's okay. So if somebody else is affluent, somebody is underprivileged, whatever the circumstances are, we need to cohabitate and find this peace and joy in life. Yes, I completely agree. And I would hope what I would like to offer as a possibility to the listeners is that could we start with that we're all humans, citizens walking the planet together. And that if we can, instead of looking at what makes us different, look at what makes the other person special and unique, interesting and lean into that and learn from that and celebrate that. And we were, and, and Elise, I'm very much looking forward uh, to all, all your writings and your research and your book. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for the support, Jay. I so appreciate you. And thank you for joining us early in the morning from Singapore today and sharing with us your your beautiful, your heart, your soul, your intellect, and where you want us to go in the world. Thank you for that. And I really enjoyed it, Elise. Thank you so much. And I, I, I really look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Likewise, Jay. If you want to learn more about Jayesh Parak, his book, or any of the many notable initiatives he's part of, start by visiting his website at jayeshparak.com. Let me spell that for you. It's J-A-Y-E-S-H-P-A-R-E-K-H.com, jayeshparak.com. His book and ebook, What Shall We Do With All This Money? Inspiring Perspectives on Wealth, is available on Amazon. He also clarified that the Yale University course he mentioned earlier in this episode is actually called The Science of Well-Being, should you want to look into that for yourselves. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can catch it via a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Heli Bundugard of the Motivation Factor in the Netherlands talking about how to cultivate and leverage this important resource, motivation, at work. Next week, we'll be on the air with Hugh Balu of Synervision Leadership Foundation talking about his possibilities, thinking, mindset approach to all things business, leadership, and life. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose. Let's work on purpose.